All because man wanted to fly. <laughs> Howdy, folks. I'm Orville. Say, let me show you why I've been chosen. You're a number one aeronautical expert. That's right, my friends. Why don't you come on in while we just do a final systems check? Just a few routine... Hey, Bo! Hey, Bo! Hey, Bo! Don't worry. This is all part of the demonstration. Just testing. Mr. Bluebird on my shoulder. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's actual. It's actual. Everything, Everything is satisfactual. Well, now, I always figure it is better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than to open it and remove all doubt. Ladies and gentlemen, now that we know my time machine operates flawlessly, who would like to travel into the future? Hold it. You're putting people in this thing on purpose? Chill, Blinky. I'm on a roll. Now, any volunteers? Step right up. Don't be afraid. Put yourself through a massive time walk continuum. Anybody? Please, no Disney employees. Oh, fabulous. W-W Radio. You're in Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 174 for the week of June 12th, 2010. It's time to fire up my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as we travel back through time to visit some of the history of the Disney parks. This week, our time travel has a double meaning as it is the focus of the attraction we'll visit. For more than a decade, the Timekeeper in Tomorrowland took guests on a celebrity-filled 360-degree journey through history, meeting famous figures and visiting historic landmarks along the way before, as in true Disney fashion, something goes wrong and hilarity ensues. We'll take a detailed look back at the attraction's history what almost came to Tomorrowland, thoughts on the Circle Vision technology, and much more. I'll play more of your voicemails and have some announcements at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Nine-Eye prepares for the rigors of time travel. Her testing begins with a trip over the falls to prove she's watertight. Next, Nine-Eye flies into a barn full of explosives. Explosives? To test her fire resistance. <laughs> Finally, Nine-Eye hitches a ride on the space shuttle for the ultimate test of airworthiness. Up, up, and away. And so Nine-Eye graduates with flying colors, ready for her time travel adventure. Time. It's our biggest enemy, because there's never enough of it when we're in Walt Disney World. And it also goes too slow in between trips and when we're waiting to leave on our next vacation. But it's also our ally because we can often go back virtually through time and look back at great moments we've spent in the parks or by climbing aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine, we're able to visit some extinct attractions, lost shows, or even moments in time itself. And this week, time is truly of the essence as we climb aboard the Wayback Machine to do just that and look at an attraction that was all about time and time travel. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the reason I've gathered you here today is to witness the exploration of the next great frontier, courtesy of my own incredible time machine, and that is the Timekeeper. So I'd like you all to meet my guest this week. He's bold, he's brassy, he's self-contained all the way from somewhere in North Carolina. Please welcome Mr. Self-Programming Circumvisual Photodroid from the Main Street Gazette, Let's say hello to Ryan Wilson. Let's get ready to break the time barrier. 
And you know, let, let's be clear. That wasn't me trying to be cute and funny. That was me just quoting lines from the beginning of the show. I'd like you all to meet my assistant. She's bold. She's brassy. She's self-contained all the way from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the self-programming circumvisual photo droid. Let's say hello to Nine Eye. Hello, folks. Grab onto your lean rails. We're about to break the time barrier. That's right, my friends. Yeah, uh, same here. I wasn't trying to be all, yeah. I am not a comedian. So if you thought those lines were cheesy, you're going to love this. Uh, you, you would have loved The Timekeeper if you never got a chance to see it. And, and I'm sure that's that not the last time we're going to quote that this evening. <laughs> no, probably not. And So let's just apologize at the beginning. Um, yeah. Because I'm not sure, Ryan, that everybody that is listening may have actually got a chance to see The Timekeeper. So that's why I like getting a chance to, to like I said, climb aboard the Wayback Machine and look at some of these. And if you did get a chance to stand there, not sit there, and see this show, uh, hopefully we'll bring back some memories for you as well. Right, yeah. The lean rails, you know, because they were there for you to lean on um, <laughs> with a great part of this attraction in, in the film. And But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah, exactly, because I, I, I want to talk specifically about some of that dialogue that we caught through there and, and who was saying it and how much of that really might have been scripted. Real quick, let's talk about the history of where the timekeeper was first, because if you remember it or if you never got a chance to see it, if you're walking from the hub in the Magic Kingdom into the Tomorrowland on the right side of the avenue of, of the planets where the Monsters, Inc. laugh lore currently sits, that was home to one of many uh, of a Circle Vision films. And again, think about places like China, think about Canada. It was actually the sixth Circle Vision film to be shown there. Uh, 1971, after the park opened, America the Beautiful was the first show. That closed. Magic Carpet Round the World came in later on in 74. America the Beautiful came back again. Magic Carpet came back again. American Journeys, they were sort of in and out through, uh, through time. Pardon the pun. Uh, there was a number of shows. And then in 1984, um, it from time to time was the show that replaced and and we'll talk about how from time to time came to be uh, the timekeeper so first Ryan do you remember any of those earlier shows or was timekeeper your your sort of first foray into that theater it it wasn't my first foray into that theater but most of my memories early on um, from America the Beautiful and and the various shows were, were from the ability to, again, swing on the lean rails and uh, sit on the floor and cool off in the air conditioning. Um, <laughs> it's only been going back, you know, as an adult and finding the films and watching the films that I really, you know, get a sense of what I miss as a kid. Yeah, and some of those films, especially things like Magic Carpet Around the World, were very, very interesting and uh, something we'll definitely talk about at a later date, some of the other Circle Vision films that have been in and out of that theater. But let's talk about The Timekeeper, originally known as From Time to Time, because like many attractions in Walt Disney World, this didn't have its origins there. It didn't start out in Disneyland. It actually came about via Disneyland Paris, maybe Euro Disneyland at the time, where it was called Le Visionarium. Right, and it, started, and, and it did have the subtitle of, you know, De Temps on Temps, which translates as From Time to Time. And it, it opened there in, on April 12th of 1992, and a little over a year later, it would then detour over to Tokyo before it would end up in Orlando. Right. In Japan, it was known as Visionarium, and that had the caption of From Time to Time, and that would be the original working title of it when it comes over to Walt Disney World. And before we get over to the Magic Kingdom and Tomorrowland, this Circle Vision film right off the bat, even though it was overseas, was very different than some of the ones we had in the past, like America the Beautiful, like American Journeys, like Magic Carpet Round the World, which were sort of, you know, virtual 360-degree postcards, uh, tours of the United States, tours of the world, you know, celebrating the bicentennial of America. This Circle Vision film was unique in that it was the very first one to have a story. Uh, It had dialogue in it. It wasn't just sort of going scene by scene. And it actually had a complete story and theme, not just about the show itself, but as we'll see later on in Walt Disney World, 
even the building that it was housed in. Absolutely, and it, you know, it wasn't that full story. It was no longer a travelogue. It was the first film to combine the Circle Vision um, theater experience with audio animatronics to kind of tailor make the show a little bit different. Uh, it, and like you said, the, the theater itself and its place in Tomorrowland just spills out everywhere into the, into uh, the area. Yeah, and the original concept changed a little bit even before it opened in Paris. Uh, originally, they wanted Jules Verne to be really the, the center, and he still is to a certain degree, talking about the culture and the history of Europe and then new innovations and then sort of moving forward to the modern age and then explaining to them computers and things like that. Uh, it, it, it changed slightly to what we have now. But when it was going to come over to Walt Disney World, uh, they wanted to capitalize on the, the success of what was going on in Paris, but change it a little bit when it came in. Uh, in Paris, it's not in a Tomorrowland, it's in Discoveryland. And when they were thinking about making changes to Walt Disney World, and now you're thinking back uh, probably around October 91-ish or so, late 1991, uh, Michael Eisner wanted to make some changes. Instead of the new Tomorrowland that we have now, the attraction was actually part of a project known as Discoveryland USA. And that will definitely be either a separate show segment and or maybe a magazine article that I could be writing for celebrations. I don't know. Instead of the new Tomorrowland that we have now. And instead of just a, a re-theming of the area... There was going to be much, much more to it, including a new dining location. Yes, I've got to, you know, bring food in first. A completely new theme to the area. There was also going to be a new attraction coming in, this being part of it. Uh, They were going to change the names of things like the Astro Orbiter was going to be known as the Kinetic Jets. So very much getting away from the Tomorrowland theme to this Discoveryland theme. And one of the unique locations that was going to go in was something called the Astronomers Club. And this is where we were going to be introduced to Timekeeper and Nine-Eye, who are the principal characters in the Timekeeper film. So in in addition to having just Jules Verne come in, they were going to be part of, sort of think, Ryan, of the Adventures Club in Tomorrowland, uh, which would have been a great sort of transition from Main Street to Tomorrowland, having this Jules Verne-esque sort of theme. And... Bringing Timekeeper and Nine-Eye, bringing Jules Verne in, telling their story, bringing other people from history into this eatery slash theater uh, to give diners a, a dinner show. You know, a, a, I can't even call it dinner because it would be open during the day as well, but a meal and an interactive show as well. Right, and it was actually going to bleed out of the borders of what we typically know as if Tomorrowland because the Astronomers Club was going to take place more or less kind of where the plaza is today and it was, it was going to have the characters like Galileo coming in and on stage and exploring the, the, the history of space time and having the timekeeper as that, that force and Nanai as that force of binding this dining experience together, the attraction together all that was going was to blend and make this whole new world effectively on that side of the park So imagine now instead of the oft-closed Tomorrowland noodle station You've got this giant antique telescope on top of the building and this very Jules Verne-esque themed place that, like I said, bleeds over into Tomorrowland and onto Main Street and having these explorers and scientists walking around talking to you as you're eating and telling all these adventuresome tales about discovery and science and whatnot. Again, a little bit of edutainment uh, along the way while you're eating problems you know there were problems with the concept of course one being the size of some of the buildings and the, the walking over to Tomorrowland. i think the biggest problem with with a concept like this ryan whenever you have like an adventurers club interactive theater concept in food is that you'll, you'll time time is actually your problem ironically yeah. enough because people will never leave They'll eat their right. burger, they'll eat their whatever, and they'll sit there for hours on end probably and watch the show and, and interact with the characters. Yeah, they'll sip on their, their drink, they'll munch their ice, whatever they have to do to hold that table to, you know, to, 
to to have this experience to see these these streetmosphere type characters that you could interact with and have a whole show with and learn and like you said you know the edutainment learn as you're going uh, you know and of course we would have lost the noodle station and where would we have had the wishes dessert party if, if <laughs> without the noodle station um, but there 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 were you're right time was the problem you're, you're, there's not enough time for the guests and the guests are taking up too much of of the character's time at that point. It, and I think that may have been one of the one of the pieces that that kind of you know pushed this idea off to the side. Yeah, and listen. That being said, I think the idea of an adventurers club type dinner theater, sort of a, a rotating show where you'd have a number of shows throughout the day, where you eat at a certain time for uh, you know for lunch or for dinner, and then move on, have it be an hour and a half, whatever. It's, think like multiple shows of Hoopty Doo or Spirit of Aloha, whatever it might be. Um, and I hear Pleasure Island calling. I hear this some buildings begging. over there that, that this could work perfectly in. It is begging for it, my friend. Uh, there, there's many locations on property. And uh, anyway, we're big tangent that we've gone off on. I'm sorry, <laughs> I've uh, my old Adventures Club uh, thoughts and, and discussions of food have, have taken us elsewhere. Scratch that idea. The entire Discovery Land obviously gets gets um, shelved because no good idea ever goes away. They decide to go with just bringing the film over. It's named from time to time when it opens at the Circle Vision Theater. Uh, it's it's later rechristened the Transportarium. That that theater um, went from being called just the Circle Vision T- Theater to the Transportarium. That opens November twenty first, nineteen ninety four. Very shortly thereafter, I think maybe in the first six months, they changed the name to now being just the Timekeeper, and they've also renamed the theater to what it was for many years to sort of fit better into the story, which was the Tomorrowland Metropolis Science Center. Again, making it being this building as part of Tomorrowland, the city. And this was when Tomorrowland, the city, was coming alive. You know, you had the blue line, the green line, the red line of the Transit Authority. Across the street, you had the Tomorrowland Interplanetary Convention Center, where I hear they had a really great exhibit from XS Tech <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not sure about what happens there, but it was. It was this. The city was being formed. You know, you have other references even inside the Timekeeper uh, with Nine Eye. You know, getting her pilot's license at the um, the Metropolis Institute of Time Travel (MITT). Uh, it was. It was just permeating the entire area. Again, separate discussion for for a separate show about the. Uh the story of Tomorrowland and how that has changed throughout the years. But let, let's get to the Timekeeper show itself. And there was actually, there was a pre-show uh, as well as the actual uh, Circle Vision film. Before we talk about it, specifically, Ryan, I want to talk about the people who were involved in it. I don't mean the Imagineers who put it together, but instead the people who played the characters. Because, look, many Walt Disney World attractions feature celebrity cameos or stars but this one had many many and especially for when this came out huge names um which most of which didn't appear on screen and we were joking early on about the timekeeper and some of the dialogue when you hear that it was voiced by comedian slash actor slash you know random thought robin (laughs) williams you understand why um, Robin Williams was huge late 80s early 90s he was Mork and then obviously so much more uh, does a great job certainly as a timekeeper Nine Eye was voiced by Rhea Perlman if you may remember her as the uh, the sassy and brassy bartender from Cheers Jules Verne was Michael Piccoli H.G. Wells was Oh How We Miss You in Spaceship Earth Jeremy Irons um <laughs> Other now, actually, in the French version, same thing as well too. The uh, the airline employee, as he was known as, was Gerard Depardieu, and that was my best French accent. Very, sure. It was very nice. <laughs> Thank it was very good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they uh, they obviously thought a lot about this this film and what Robin Williams might be able to bring to it. And if you've seen the film, and if and if, as we start quoting some of the lines, as I'm sure we will, Ryan. You wonder how much was scripted and how much was they just put Robin Williams in front of a mic, gave him an outline, and just said, go. Ladies and gentlemen, esteemed guests, and those of you wearing the funny animal hats, welcome! The reason I've gathered you here today is to witness the exploration of the next great frontier, 
courtesy of my own incredible time machine. Patent pending. Offer void with paper to Before we begin, we would like to make the minor control adjustments. Oh. oh, something broke. Hold on one moment, please. Just one moment. Thank you. Now, please form double rows and move to the center of the theater. Do it! You've been waiting outside! You've been in line for a while! Just do it! Thank you. We're about to begin. In case of a loss of cabin pressure, just relax. Okay? Thank you. Come on in. Thank you. For your safety, I've invented rails for you to lean on. I call them lean rails. Please do not sit on the lean rails, because they're there to lean on. And please don't sit on the floor. My studies show that you can experience time travel on the floor. And it's not a pretty picture in those shorts. I, you know, I, I, as I listened to this again, you know, as we prepped for this segment, I was thinking, you know, these, these sounds so much like this Robin Williams just taking off and, you know, them going, hey, you know, it's a little bit dizzy. Make sure you're, we're not crossing <laughs> lines here. But especially at the beginning with, you know, some, some of the manic timekeeper behavior again at the end. In fact, at the end when he's, you know, talking about all the places he's going to go with his time machine it felt very much like the genie at the end of aladdin when when robin williams is saying you know he's history he's mythology he's out of there it's a very similar kind of riff feel so yeah it definitely feels like robin williams got a lot of control here and, and i think you get that ryan from the very first time you hear from the moment he says hello and starts just sort of screaming and doing his three stooges impression i mean you get a lot of that right off the bat and um and i and i think Especially during that intro part, he had a relatively a lot of, of G-rated freedom in there, um, but he's great, and, and it certainly brings a lot to Because remember, you don't see Robin Williams on screen or on stage. Robin Williams is the voice of this audio-animatronic character uh, once you get into the main show. And even looking at the, the timekeeper, you know, that, that robot was created long before Robin Williams took over that character, but you can, almost in the face, you can see his, his expressions lighting up and you know when he is you, you hear the, the the cartoon horn he goes i don't know why that's there except to go it's, <laughs> it's 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 completely robin williams i agree and thank you for doing the aruga sound because i wanted Not to mention problem. it but there was no way i was going to do the uh the impression so and yeah that's it's, what I'm it's uh and, and as you said before it, this is interesting because it's the first time they actually even brought in an audio animatronic character uh, in a Circle Vision film, you wonder how much of that was by design initially, or it says, "Hey, we need to take advantage of, you know, Robin Williams." And, and you, thinking back to, we're talking audio animatronics now that are twenty years old. If they had the animatronic technology they had now, how even more fluid they might be able to uh, ha- have made that Timekeeper character. Absolutely, and and even with you know Nine Eye, who was a static character. You know, I don't want to overlook Rhea Perlman, who was just brilliant at her comedic timing at bringing, you know, her this this sassy brassy uh, droid to life, and you know, her humor even starts out in the queue with with some of her her test flights. Yeah, and that's really you know she she sort of shines mostly. She's kind of the star of that pre-show, and and the pre-show was like a lot of these attractions, right? I mean, they're almost little shows in and of itself. You get to see her kind of training videos uh, and you get that sort of uh, we talked about some of these uh, American journeys and things like that where she goes over places like Niagara Falls and she goes to other places around America uh, and really sort of explaining the technology that created her as well as the technology of the timekeeper sort of the, the creator of the time machine itself let's see scuba gear spare wiring extra batteries tanning oil what else do I need for a trip through time? Hey, who took my toga? Oh, uh, hi there. Nice to see ya. The name's Nine Eye, and you caught me packing for my big trip through time. Well, actually, I should say our big trip because you're all coming with me, courtesy of an amazing new invention. The very first, one of a kind, special, limited edition, time machine, super smart, turbo XL. Isn't she a beauty? Don't worry, we're not all squeezing into that gizmo, just me. But it'll be just like you're right there with me. Because I have built-in cameras all around me, nine of them, giving a complete 360-degree view of everything I see. And I'll be transmitting everything back to you, live. So everything I see, you see. See? And it is, it's one of those experiences you see the films, there's posters on the wall explaining her history. It is. It's a story in and of itself, 
just on this character that that's kind of leading you into to the larger world you're about to enter with with the the feature film. Yeah, and it gives you hints of what you're going to see ahead of time. In the, in the American version of the pre-show, you saw things like stuff from Leonardo da Vinci, and you saw a copy of Jules Verne's novel, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, I actually think you saw, if I remember right, I think there was a Nautilus in the, in yes. the queue area. As uh, yes. well, and, I, and I was looking for a photo of it, and if anybody has it, I, I'd love to see it, because there's not a lot. There's not a lot of pictures out there of the timekeeper, certainly of the queue area. No, yeah, there's, there's definitely not. You, you, like I said, you get a picture maybe once in a while of the poster or of Nine Eye on the screen, and that's really about the extent of it at this point. Yeah, and it's very different than the original French version, which was almost more of a commercial for Renault, Renault cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, this They show there a history of automaking by Renault uh, up until their sponsorship ended in 2002 or so. Uh, very, very different. Obviously, Renault wasn't a sponsor here, so they can't come up with something completely new. The one thing I remember about the Q in in here was they had these um, these giant sort of columns, these these water mm-hmm. columns, like bubbling yes. water columns uh, in, in the Q area. It's funny the it, things that you carry forward that you remember from from. And, and it's right, but you, you, yeah, they were they were they were out throughout that that Q and it, as kind of an homage to him now there's still the bubbling water on the side of the walls when you walk into monsters inc in that queue it's you know it's kind of the paying it forward or paying respect to what came before or just repurposing it because it was cheaper than taking it out and installing something new (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's let's talk about the attraction itself and when you sort of walk into this theater uh there's not much there to see you do see the timekeeper in front and you see these giant nine screens that surround you, and as he makes often reference to, the lean rails. And if you've never seen a Circle Vision show, it's not like a traditional theater show where you sit and face a screen in front of you. You need to stand and lean up against these lean rails, as he calls them, to look around because you the action is taking place primarily in front of you, but really in 360 degrees. Which, which explains totally why we have nine eyes. She has nine camera eyes. To send us the footage back from her time travels. Right. And like other attractions where we're sent back in time, like Dinosaur, Countdown to Extinction, this is too our, our witnessing of the timekeeper sending Nine Eye back through her journey into time. And of course, as, as things always happen at Disney, things go horribly awry because as he's about to do it for the very first time and send her back to hopefully meet somebody like a Jules Verne. She instead opens her eyes, and she is in the Jurassic Age. Yeah, she went back. A, th- those controls are just are, are just a little too touchy, and <laughs> she, she, goes, she goes back a little bit too far, and she doesn't like what she sees. Yeah, and, and this is where uh, – and I actually, for many reasons, and we'll talk about this at the end, I actually showed the timekeeper today to, to my kids who are four and six, and my, my son was thrilled about the fact that there was another attraction in Walt Disney World that featured di- a dinosaur. Um that scene doesn't last very long. He tries to get her out of there. Next thing we do is we show up in the Ice Age about 12,000 years ago. Um, she starts to actually freeze up, so he moves her forward to what he thinks is going to be a demonstration of Gutenberg's printing press about 1450. Again, Timekeeper misses the mark. Yeah, we end up at the Anglo-Scott War, men running around in kilts. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a messy affair. One of it was like Mel Gibson and Braveheart out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly like that. So he uh, he finally seems to write what he's been doing wrong, and he moves forward into the Renaissance, uh, into the year 1503, right into where he wanted to go, which was Leonardo da, Var- da Vinci's workshop, where we get to sort of meet the woman who is Mona Lisa. You always had a thing for historical figures, Lou. <laughs> So And it's great because this is where the 360-degree technology was great because you sort of mm-hmm. were getting this virtual tour of what Disney imagined Da Vinci's workshop would have been. And you see things like, you know, his, his mock-up and his model of a plane. And you're trying to catch a glimpse of what the Mona Lisa looks like. And he, Leonardo actually turns around and notices Nine-Eye in the room. Yeah, and, and you know... and. There's a, there's a really little repartee between her and Mona Lisa, but 
looking in that room and looking around at the 360 of it, it always felt to me like it was taken straight out of um, the world of motion where you also get a look at Da Vinci and his flying contraptions and all these pieces. And it was it was very nice to see both pieces blended there. Yeah, exactly. And, and just so very, very well done too. Uh, the amount of detail that was put in there. And you even see that more so in the next scene. Obviously, you know, he's, he's looking at Nine Eye. She's teleported to the next, uh, the next stop along the journey, which is the year 1763, where Mozart is giving his performance as a seven-year-old um, of one of his, you know, many concertos to Louis the Thirteenth, Louis the Sixteenth, actually, sorry, X V I, Louis the Sixteenth. <laughs> uh, but if you look at the detail and the costuming and and everything else in there, just a beautiful set or, or wherever it was that that was filmed. Yeah, it was very ornate between the, you know, and it had to clearly have probably been filmed in, in some palace somewhere uh, with the mirrored wall, you know, hallways and the gold, you know, filigree on everything. It was just so, the chandeliers, the crystal chandeliers uh, when Nana when Nani is trying to blend in. It's really, really uh, just a breathtaking room to look in through. Right, and of course, as people start to notice Nani once again, um, she is transported about a, a little more than 100 years into the future to 1878 to the Exposition Universe. Um, but this is where, again, the, the 360-degree nine screens, screens come into effect because you see this sort of sped-up version of the Parisian skyline and the Eiffel Tower. Right, and, and at the time he says, he, you know, he's going to save that effect for the next show because he planned it that way, but it's, it is, it's great to watch, you know, most people will focus just on the Eiffel Tower being constructed, but there's a whole city being, re- you know, erected all around you if you take the time to look around. Yeah, and then before, they, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was say before we finally get over to the Universal Exposition of Paris. Right, which does pl- take place in the year 1900. Uh, this is where Timekeeper really wants to, he, he has hit it right on the mark because he wants to allow you and allow Nine Eye to broadcast this you know, incredible meeting between H.G. Wells and Jules Verne. And, and, and to say they uh, aren't the best of friends at that moment is probably an understatement. Yeah, as, it, as, it's interesting to hear the discussion that goes on between the two of them because you sort of just sit back and, and watch as the the proverbial fly on the wall. Right. It's it's the the you know universal debate of impossible versus improbable, you know, versus what is tomorrow, what is today, what can be done, uh, and both of both of these you know brilliant authors had looked forward to the future, and some things have have come to pass and some haven't, and you see that little back and forth in this scene. Yeah, the my favorite part probably of the entire attraction is right here in this uh, this this conversation between the two. Permit me to present Monsieur H. G. Wells. Mr. Wells, the honor is mine, sir. Oh, and mine too, sir. Your work, Mr. Wells, caused quite a sensation, particularly the time machine. Oh, oh. Yes, the time machine. I spent my life writing about the possible, and you prefer the impossible. Impossible? No, sir. This may be improbable, but believe me, it's not impossible. Good reply. One point. Have you travelled through time? Have I ever travelled through time? Uh, I have travelled through time as often as you have travelled from the Earth to the Moon, sir. Yes. Easy, boys. Too much coffee? Well, we have only ten minutes until the conference begins. Well, we'll continue this, Monsieur Verne. He's a dreamer. It's impossible. Oh, yeah? Look again, Frenchie. And I think that was great. It is one of those moments, you know, I don't know about everyone out there, but I grew up on science fiction books you know whether it was hg wells or you know some of the more modern pieces but it was you know i grew up flying to the moon flying to far off places diving under the ocean center of the earth it and so it was you know i've been to these places whether or not my body's gone or not yeah and this too again what i liked about this scene again costuming so authentic but the scene was really a scene from vienna uh this was not a sort of uh, done on a soundstage anywhere uh, you can see the gardens of uh, Schoenbrunn Castle right there and, and, I, and I think it's great that they went there were so many places that they went to film the interior and exterior scenes like Austria like Germany, like France uh, obviously because the, the original film debuted there but even to the United Kingdom and the Bahamas and certainly uh, the United States as well 
Right, and, and even thinking at back to the original, you know, Paris film and Tokyo film, they even flew over Red Square in Russia. So the the number of shooting locations for this film was just incredible. Yeah, and again, like we said, using people like Gerard Depardieu and Robin Williams and some of these—I mean, they obviously must have spent a fortune in creating this film, just from the actors, just from the set. Not to mention the fact that they're using this, this the technology of the Circle Vision nine cameras. Right. When you load up, when you load up an attraction with that kind of star power and this kind of technology. Uh, you, you're, you're really saying something about what you're putting forward. You, when you talk about star power and technology, I start thinking Captain EO. <laughs> that's the same kind of <laughs> no, thing. That's, that's July 2nd. We're, we're not there yet. <laughs> so in this scene, obviously, uh, Jules Verne is now paying attention to the fact that Nine-Eye is there watching. Timekeeper wants to get her out of there while Jules Verne grabs a hold. So when, he, when Nine-Eye gets transported, Jules Verne comes with him, comes with her. Uh, They obviously want to try and get him back, but he's begging for the opportunity to do what he's never been able to do, Ryan, which is see the future. And this is probably one of my favorite moments in in the film when they ask him, you know, what would you like to see? And he says everything. And that's just, you know, it's perfect. Yeah, let's just, let's go everywhere. Let's see it all. Right, and and Robin Williams says, okay, we're going to do our best in 10 minutes or less. Um, so he can get back to the year 1900, where he was just about to go inside and go deliver his speech. But again, Robin doesn't seem to have everything under control because the first place he sends him to is this completely dark area, which we come to quickly find is a train tunnel. Right. And we get him on the train as a hood ornament, not exactly in the train. Uh, so that's a great way to start your, your journey through the modern world. Yeah, I mean, a little, I mean, look, you know, this is certainly, you're talking about time travel, suspending disbelief that he would actually be a hood ornament on the train as opposed to being <laughs> flattened by the train is not much of a stretch, I guess, after that. Picky, picky, picky. <laughs> it's, it's all right. So they go from the train uh, to exploring Paris. And uh, obviously, Jules Verne has never really seen an automobile. He's right in the middle of what you might assume is the Champs-Élysées, somewhere around there. He goes from not knowing what a car is into the front seat of a race car um, and where he starts driving with his helmet on in the wrong direction. Right. We've, we've put him in a Formula One race car and let him go the wrong way down, down the track. Um, and you get a great moment where the screen kind of goes dark because now I say she's not watching this. Um, it, it, and it's just it's, it's brilliant. You know, the cars are coming at him and he's laughing just like the glee of a, of a small child. Yeah, and I think especially in, in, in this section right here when he first comes to the modern world or, or his future, the car scene and the next scene with the bobsled is really meant less about the details of what you're seeing than, a, than as entertaining you with the technology of the Circle Vision film. So you're getting that sort of fast scenes rushing by you and it sort of surrounds you in 360 degrees. And let's not forget, you know, the entertainment value that you're getting of Robin Williams, you know, between the bobsled and the race car, you know, telling him to kick it and, you know, yeehaw <laughs> and the Jamaicans, right. <laughs> the bobsled. You're, you're getting that wit interspersed with these scenes and it, and it does. It makes a very, very entertaining couple of minutes. I must be dreaming. Dreaming? <laughs> this is a nightmare. Who are you? Timekeeper. Just a guy who probably destroyed history by bringing you here. Where is he? It's the future, Mr. Byrne. I've got to send you back. No, Wait. You must let me see it. It is pretty wonderful. Maybe. No, I can't. No, I can't. Yes, I can. No, I can. No, I can. Yes, I can. No, I can. Listen, you have a speech in 10 minutes. Plenty of time. We're not covered for this, really. I take my chances. I think you better go back. Listen, Blinky! I know exactly what I'm doing! Now, Monsieur Verne, mm-hmm. tell me, what would you like to see? Everything. Monsieur Verne, I proudly show you the modern world! In 10 minutes or less. <laughs> Hey, Professor. What? You put Jules Verne in a race car? Yeah, good think. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Jules, wait! Just the old rail! Stay with him, now, stay with him! Slow down, Julie! Slow down! Kick it, honey! Yeah! Roll on through! Now, Papa Wheelie! Oh, my God, the pants are full. Oh, no, look up ahead! It's the Jamaican team! You're coming down to the store, I mean. 
There goes Suzanne Summers pulled by a blender fish. Yeah, and from the bobsled run, um, you know, you're you're on the land. He takes him on into the sea. Obviously, you know, I, I, sort of referring to his going twenty thousand leagues under the sea. His novel really finally being realized. Right, and this is and this is kind of the start of that because we come back to his novels again in a little while. But you know, we go from the sea. You know, we've gone land, sea. And we start flying over various places in Europe, you know, the English countryside. You end up in the Big Apple. All these great, you know, landscapes and cityscapes that, you're, that you know, he's never seen from that perspective. Right. And, and like you said, the things that he wrote about, he sees, have really come true. He's gone 20,000 leagues under the sea. He has been able to go from the earth to the moon. Which is one of those moments where it's kind of, it, it, you almost have to take pause at that scene. Where he asks, you know, ha- you by ne- but no doubt you've made the journey by now, exactly. And it's his realization of, you know, what he what he can dream up, you know, to quote Horizons, if you can dream it, then you can do it, right, right. And she even says to him, she says, look, you know, she's like, you wrote the book, Jules. So, it's a, um, it, it's a great scene. It's a, if you pay very close attention to the to the dialogue that was in there. Um, he leaves. We're running out of time. He's got to get back and give his speech. So they want to send him back to the expedition in 1900. He sends him to the right place. He sends him to the wrong time. So he goes there at some point in the future. And I'm laughing because instead of hearing music that would have been appropriate for the time, on stage in the background is Boys to Men. Yes. <laughs> so- yes. Which and it wasn't like it was an unknown boys to men song. It was a very popular boys to men song. So as this film, you know, went on years and years later, it became more and more of the present of 1992. Yeah, and I just thought it was a um, it was a, a very sort of interesting uh, <laughs> decision to, to interesting put those choice. in there. Yeah, it definitely it, it sort of instantly dates what possibly could not have been a a, a non dateable attraction, as it were. Right. Uh, I think having Motown Philly there <laughs> by Boys <laughs> to Men um, from the Cooley High Harmony album, which I, I probably owned at some point. But anyway, uh, moving on, they do get Jules Verne back into 1900. H.G. Wells, of course, happens to be be there. And again, there's another great exchange between uh, Nine Eye and Jules Verne, as well as H.G. Wells and, and Jules Verne as well, too. Right, you have H.G. Wells just stammering. He can't believe it. You know, and now H.G. Wells, or uh, Jules Verne, excuse me, having been to the future, you know, it totally understands that you know, if you can dream about time travel, you can dream about mission to to the moon. All of this can can happen. And he's trying to like, oh no, come on, you know, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, and I think throwaway line that I love so much is Nine Eye says, "Goodbye, Jules. Don't forget to write." Yes, it's a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant little piece. So, you know, to the two Imagineers that worked on that, just kudos for those little brilliant little verbal sort of plays on words that they had throughout there. And Ryan, speaking of music, and when I mean music, I don't mean the Motown Philly song by Boys to Men. I mean the music that is featured throughout the attraction. Uh, this, is, this is really one of my favorite attraction themes. Uh, it, was, it was composed by Bruce Broughton, and many of you might recognize that name if you are Disney theme park fans. Not only did he do The Timekeeper, he also did the score for Canada, Ellen's Energy Adventure, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, and the recent refurbishment of Spaceship Earth. Yeah, and, and this is just, you know, in Florida, he went, he did parks all across the, uh, the globe, but it was, it's one of those scores that, you know, and it's called From Time to Time, obviously referencing the original title of the film. It's it is. It's just. It's a very subtle piece. If you're not listening, you're not going to catch enough of it. But it is. It's one of those things that you can just put in the background and listen to. And it's just a great kind of soaring. You know, uh, I can't even think of the word. Yeah, it has that just, soaring feel to it. It does. It has yes. A very sort of uplifting, uh, very expansive score that that Bruce Broughton is famous for. So really, really enjoy this one. If you guys have heard, if you've been to the attraction before, hopefully you might remember what it was. Um, you know, the, the timekeeper, the way the show ends, the show itself, the way it ends are there's plans to see other things during history as, as we travel on to the future. But uh, unfortunately, we're, we're talking about this on, on a Wayback Machine because the timekeeper inevitably 
uh, comes to an end, and this starts to happen about 2001 or so, when it starts being put on the seasonal schedule, and for many attractions, except for you, Carousel of Progress, seasonal means we're sounding the death knell. Right, we're, we're going to give you a few more seasons, a few years, but eventually your doors are going to shut permanently. And it did start in 2001, and if you think about what was going on in the world at that point, you had you know the World Trade Centers, and they were both featured very prominently in the flyover of New York City, and you wonder if that kind of played a, played a part in putting this on seasonal status. But oddly enough, you think, okay, seasonal means you're almost done. This must not have been a very expensive attraction to run because it, it lasts for about five more years. Um, it doesn't really stop taking guests in until late 2005 and in early 2006, around February, it closes permanently. Actually, the last of all of the Timekeeper Visionarium attractions, Tokyo and Disneyland closed in 2002 and 2004, respectively. And, and, and I think there was probably a number of reasons why. I think we touched on um, possibly, you know, was it too time-specific? Was it, was it locked in the 90s? Was it the technology? Uh, I, I think certainly there are... I think there are things that might have affected it and it not being a, a huge draw for guests. I don't think anybody's going to post on the blog and say, yes, this was my all-time favorite Walt Disney World attraction. Um, there were no Disney characters in there. There were you know, segments where maybe for younger people they wouldn't have understood what was going on. Um, I think certainly having to stand or, or lean on the lean rails for a lot of guests um, wasn't always the most comfortable thing in the world. I think it, it sort of plays better in educational films, and I use, put educational quotes, like um, like China, like Canada, as opposed to something like this, which was meant to be more of an entertaining as opposed to less educational type of film. Right, and if you even look at the films, you know, in World Showcase, any of the films, you know, like China, like Canada, where you're, where you're standing, tend to not draw as big a crowd as, say, Impressions de France, where you have seats to sit in and you can rest in the cool air for a little bit. And with the children, children didn't get all the jokes. You know, there's a Neanderthal joke. It's a little over their heads. There, there are pieces of this that I think all came together to kind of, you know, sound that that bell of okay, it's time to to find something new for this. And if you think back to Ryan, to you know, now we obviously have the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor is in that spot, and on the the Avenue of the Planets, we have the big Monsters Inc. You know, lit up sign right across from the big Stitch sign. When this was here, when the Timekeeper was here, there was no giant sign outside. I think people actually, you know, you can very easily walk by that theater and not realize that there's something inside because right next door you have Buzz Lightyear. These two buildings are shoehorned so close together, it's very easy to assume that, well, Buzz Lightyear and the Tomorrowland Noodle Station encompass that whole area, not that there's another theater right inside there. Especially when you consider the fast pass machines are very close to the entrance to uh, the Timekeeper. It didn't have the, the large signs. You could see them changing that over the years. You know, even uh, ex, even Alien Encounter did not have a very you know a huge marquee out front. Now that you know, now you have a giant stitch, you have a gi- giant mic for Monsters Inc. They could see that they ne- they needed something to draw these people in. Yeah, and and there wasn't you know a sign saying Timekeeper starring Robin Williams. You know, Timekeeper starring Mork might have brought more people in than. The small signs, you know, like I said, saying Metropolis Science Center with which mm-hmm. guests might not have just understood or recognized was in there. I think the the draw, part of the draw was Robin Williams. And maybe that wasn't played up maybe as much as it could have been. You're right. And, and, and even sticking with the signs, you know, there were posters and there still are posters all over Tomorrowland for, you know, the hover burbs and for concert series and orchestras. It could have just, and you know, it looks just like this poster blends in with all of those, not realizing it was a separate attraction, and it did have this just all-star cast of characters to to entertain you. And you know, honestly, as I was saying that, as I was, as the words were coming out of my mouth, something different was going on in my brain because right about this time, probably Robin Williams wasn't necessarily Mork from Ork anymore. He was doing a lot of stand-up. And uh, how do I say this delicately? Some of his shows were a little blue. They didn't necessarily use all Disney words in his shows. And maybe maybe that's why. Maybe Disney didn't want to say, because maybe for some people, Robin Williams wasn't Mork. Robin Williams was 
you know, the very adult comic, and maybe he, you know, there would be a concern that he was the guy in the show. I don't know. I'm just sort of wondering why maybe Robin Williams wasn't more pronounced on, on signage or anything like that. And you, know, you do, you, know, you, you look at his, his personal life right then. You know, there were some things going on that weren't exactly family friendly. And you, you do, you wonder how much of that played into, okay, we're not going to publicize as vocally as we would like who this is behind Timekeeper. Right, because they do it elsewhere. I mean, it's Canada starring Martin Short. Look, it's Ellen's energy adventure. Right. <laughs> you know, it's right. not some chick's Ellen energy adventure. It, it's Ellen, so she you is You have the, Bill uh, Nye everywhere. You have Bill Nye in Dinoland. You have Bill Nye over at Ellen's energy adventure. They do. They, they, they really want you to know who these people are now. Right. Well, I think Bill Nye works a little less blue than Robin Williams, so that's probably a safe <laughs> bet for him. <laughs> So, so look, you've you've you vaguely remember the show. You've you've obviously watched it um, relatively recently in, in preparing for this segment. What are your thoughts on it? What were your thoughts looking back on it now, as you know, and I and I say adult in quotes uh, of the show now? Do you think it could hold up today? I mean, look, we we talked about Captain EO coming back, a, a film that's you know equally as old. Could it come yes. back and still hold up? Taking notwithstanding the boys to the men, coolly high harmony in there. <laughs> you know, I think it is one of those things you, you you'd have to obviously restructure some of the scenes and and refilm some pieces and update it a little bit because uh, it is a, it is a you know your travelogue with a narrative to it. Um, but it does it, it it you know of the the Circle Vision films, it does hold up. It does still tell you a story. It does still entertain. It's still very very funny. Um, you know my my wife wanted to kill me because I've been walking around seeing, saying quotes from the, the attraction for a week now. Um, but it does. It, it it stands the test of time, I think. And it's one of those attractions when you may not think of it as your favorite attraction, but when you look back and you think about it, you, you always tend to, to chuckle a little or smile a little when you remember you know, the one-liners and the throwaway lines. Well, let me ask you this. What about the, the technology itself? What about the concept of the Circle Vision Theater itself? Look, we've got things like Toy Story Midway Mania now and some of the, the high-tech attractions, Turtle Talk with Crush, where the passive experience is moving more towards a much more interactive kind of thing. Certainly that's what a younger generation expects. Does the Circle Vision technology still hold up? Does that projection technology of the Circle Vision films hold up? And if so, does it only hold up for something like a travel log, like for Canada or for China? You know, it's an interesting question. I don't know if it would hold up on its own as just a travelogue or as an attraction, I think fusing the technology with things that we already have would work. Like you've said, you know, a, a, an experience where you're moving through a world, you know, and every room is a 360 screen, uh, a la, you know, you have Delta Dream Flight and all those when you're, when you're moving statically through them. But having the joystick now where you have like Buzz Lightyear's uh, uh, Space Rangers, you could you know jostle your car around and look and see what's going on around you maybe in that sense we haven't lost a 360 but i think for an attraction just standing in the middle of a room and watching this take place around you it it, it, you know maybe that maybe that has had its time and you know i'm wondering if things like i mean look at soren forgetting the fact that your your vehicle you know somewhat in motion but has the imax screen almost sort of taken over from the 360 because we don't uh, other than my mother we don't have eyes in the back of our head so <laughs> it, it is sort of you feel compelled to look forward at all times and, and only in your periphery do you see like in the bobsled scene and this and then the flying over Paris scene do you feel the need to sort of look left or look right or possibly glance behind you to see what's going on there uh, you know if you're looking through the Grand Canyon yeah the, the circle vision uh, might be a great thing but again would that hold up for a long show? I mean, do people want to go in and, and stand up the whole time? I don't necessarily think that the China attraction is, is uh, has the longest wait times probably in the park. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, you're not going to see a lot of that happening. You know, it is one of those things we look at the future and what is the future. You know, Maybe with Star Tours being redone, are we going to have little, little windows, little portholes all around where while you're sitting in your seat, you can look back and see the moon of Endor you just passed or something of that nature. Uh, but I, I think Circle Vision, right, you know, has been relegated just to this travel log, and even in that sense, like you mentioned, Soren, you know, how much longer are we going to have these 360 films when we have IMAX screens, when we have the ability to put people almost inside the scene, you know, in a static, straightforward position? Exactly, and this is where I would love to hear from you, the listener, as to what you think. What do you think, first of all, of the Circle Vision technology? Uh, you know, hopefully, you've had a chance to see it in Canada or in China or 
possibly elsewhere in Walt Disney World, whether it was The Timekeeper or any of the shows that preceded it. Do you think that the Circle Vision technology holds up? Do you think Timekeeper holds up? Could you see Timekeeper coming back and being a draw? Um, or would you like to see some other type of film? Or what other type of film could you see in 360? Um, would the introduction of Disney characters or from a Disney film, The Incredibles, Meet the Robinsons, Take Your, your Pick, whatever it might be, put a Circle Vision 360 film in Tomorrowland, sort of going back to the way it was before. Um, curious to hear your your thoughts on it as well. Uh, but Ryan Wilson, my circumvisual pro- self-programming photo droid from Main Street Gazette, which I will, of course, link in the show notes. I want to thank you for coming on, taking this trip from time to time, back in time with me aboard the Wayback Machine. It is always a pleasure. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Pardon the accidental pun. Hope you enjoyed our look back at the Timekeeper. Thanks go out to my friend Ryan Wilson from the Main Street Gazette. And if you enjoyed this visit on the Wayback Machine, check out some older episodes of the show for others, including detailed looks at current and former attractions in the DSI Disney Scene Investigation series as well. If there's something that you want to see us talk about, email me at Lou at WDW Radio and let me know or post in the comments about the Timekeeper or any other uh, Wayback Machine ideas you might have in this week's show notes. If you like these segments too, you might also like the audio guide to Walt Disney World series that I have out on CD and instantly downloadable files. I have Main Street, Adventureland, and Fantasyland out now working on releasing Liberty Square very soon, moving on to the rest of the Magic Kingdom and all the Disney theme parks They're available on the website at www.radio.com or in iTunes. Definitely come by the site, check out new videos that I have posted up this week, more videos to come, and in addition to the podcast, come by the site for discussion forums, photo galleries, daily blog posts, you can shop in the store, and lots more. And to get easy access to all of these, you can also download the new free iPhone application, lots of different ways to interact and connect with me and the show, check out the link right on the right-hand side of the homepage at www.radio.com. There I have links to my Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, friend feed, all those accounts, and lots more. And definitely stay tuned and stay connected because I'm getting ready to announce something that I've been working on very, very soon. So any of those ways is the best way for you to get the latest news fastest. Thanks to everybody who came by the meet of the month in Walt Disney World at Pinocchio's Village House yesterday. I will have July dates coming very, very soon. Again, Twitter, Facebook, best way to get those instantly uh, in case I release them before the next show comes out. Come by meetofthemonth.com. There you'll find links to not only the meet of the month information, but other Disney events and gatherings coming up soon, including the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet in August. Destination D, we're going to be planning an event for that in Disneyland in September. So stay tuned uh, to the show, Twitter, Facebook, for information about that. Congaloosh is October 8th through the 12th. And of course, the WDW Radio Cruise on the Disney Dream is February 27th, 2011. Don't forget, if you have a question you want me to answer on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. And if you want a chance to play Listener Factor Fiction, where I might call you randomly, ask you 10 true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World, you can email me at that same address, include a fact or fiction in the subject line, and send me your phone number, because you never know, you might be the one I call next. Last couple of quick reminders, don't forget that if you want to order a subscription to Celebrations Magazine or Back Issues, or just find out more about what Celebrations Magazine is, you can come by and visit celebrationspress.com. Great way to get bi-monthly doses, a little bit of Disney magic delivered right to your door. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. And All-Star Vacation Homes has more than 150 homes within five miles of Walt Disney World. For more information about either of those, you can find links right on the homepage. And stay tuned. 
for the next WDW Radio live broadcast coming very, very soon, as well as more announcements about some of the other things I've been working on. Ironically, this show is all about time. Time is my biggest enemy, but I promise I've got some good stuff coming your way very, very soon. Thank you again so much for taking the time to listen to the show this and every week. You know, I really, really appreciate it. As always, my friends, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Come by, review the show or the audio guides or the iPhone app over in iTunes. Tweet out that you're listening or post a link to it or share it over on Facebook. And most importantly, I hope you guys have a great week and always, always keep moving forward in the pursuit of your passion and following your dreams. So until next time, see ya. Well, hey there, Lou. It's Doug from Geek Acres, and I just finished listening to the latest show for, like, the third time. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a great, great program. Uh, let's think. First things first, the, the, the entertainment that is coming this summer just has me so pumped. Mm, no, it's not enough to get me to get there this summer because we're currently planning a trip for Marathon Weekend 2011. But I'm hoping that a lot of it stays over. I'm, I'm hoping that the... Uh, that the Baroque Hoedown will continue to play on and on right on through January because my son's never seen it, and of course it's a big part of my childhood, so I'm hoping it sticks around for that. And, uh, boy, Captain EO, which, you know, I don't know whether it was mentioned or not, but, yeah, I'm really excited about seeing that because somehow I never saw it, and I'm right there with you about the same era, so I, I certainly have no excuse, but somehow I never got to see the movie except for the little, you know, tiny rendition that we can see on youtube nowadays so i'm hoping to get a chance to see that as well in january but wow 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 great interview with ashley Eckstein. man she just she just seems so genuine and and the whole ahsoka tano just kind of pours right out of the young lady and her her love of disney it's just that must have been incredible <laughs> i can't even begin to imagine what that interview was like being one-on-one. I, I wish you almost had videoed it. Maybe we'll get that in the feet coming down the pipe. I don't know. But at any rate, as always, just an amazing show, and this one especially was just top-notch. Can't wait to hear the next one, although you're going to have a hard time out doing it. And we'll talk to you later. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Ron from St. Louis. I'm calling you from the deck of the Disney Magic. We're in the Mediterranean, uh, anchored at Corsica. It's been a fantastic cruise. Lots of characters visible all the time. Lots of meet and greets. It's been a wonderful Mediterranean cruise. So I thought I'd just call and say hi. So see you later. Bye-bye. Hello, it's Darlene again from Buffalo, New York. And I have to edit my voicemail from yesterday. It's nine months the cruise. I was hoping, I was pushing it to eight because I really need the cruise. <laughs> oh gosh, so everybody it's nine months away, not eight. Thanks. Have a magical weekend. Bye. Hey, this is Kyle with a great tip. Um, the Mac and Wishes, a great place to watch the fireworks would be right in front of the castle. But in the new fireworks show, um, they have so many fireworks to the side that it's better to watch it um, over by the side, like at Adventureland or something. So um, thanks for all the great shows, Lou. Um, I'm a regular listener, and I'll see you later. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Danielle from Arizona. I just want to tell you thank you, thank you, thank you. Your podcast get me through my drive every day to work and back. Um, they're just so much fun, and they make me um, feel that a little piece of Disney World is here with me in Arizona. Um, I worked there in 2008, and I miss it so much, and I can't wait to get back out there soon, hopefully very, very soon. So I just wanted to call and thank you, and um, keep doing the great work. Thanks. Bye. Good evening, Lou. This is David from Hiram, Georgia. I just got finished listening to the episode uh, with your interview with Ashley Eckstein, and I tell you, that really has got to be one of your best uh, interviews ever. Fantastic episode, top to bottom. Um, 
my all-time favorite has got to be the one with Julie Andrews, um, but uh, this one ranks right up there. So it was just wonderful, and she was sounding like the perfect uh, perfect guest for you. So anyway, looking forward to uh, the meet of the month for June, uh, June 12th at Magic Kingdom. Uh, we actually have reservations at the Pirates League at noon, so hopefully we'll get there in plenty of time uh, to stop by and say hello and uh, meet you. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Bye. Well, time flies. Okay, show's over. Get out of here, you little numbskulls. I love you. Thank you for coming today. Get out! Ciao. Arigato gozaimasu. All feet are the same. Bony knocky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.